Let's turn to Jonah this morning, and we'll read verses 4 to 6 where we left off last week. Jonah 1 verse 4 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Last week we wrapped up looking at Jonah's decision. He was headstrong. He was firmly committed to this decision that he was not going to Nineveh, that he was going to do his own thing, that he was going to disobey God. He paid the fare. We talked about that a little bit last week. And we left Jonah on this ship, getting on board to sail towards Tarshish, the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, where the Lord had told him to go. So as we, we see in this, uh, this next section here, God had sent out a great wind, and we understood that that, that meant he literally hurled it forth. He, he sent it with great intention, with purpose, and he had actions to accomplish by doing it. We see that the ship here is about to be broken up. The mariners were afraid. Last week we looked at their their soul was melting within them. And in their futility, we see them crying out to their false gods. I think we could probably assume they were sincere. They were scared, but they were sincerely wrong. We think of those uh, that Elijah dealt with who were crying out to Baal, crying out But there was no voice, and no one answered, and Elijah said, he mocked them, and he said, cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on some type of journey. And again, for us, just a reminder, even in looking at these ones who are crying out in futility and their falseness, I don't find comfort in that for them. I actually pity them in that, but I find comfort in the fact that the Lord hears us. He hears the cries. He hears the prayers of the righteous. And that's a great promise to us and one that we can remember. Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we can cry out to the Almighty God. And Jonah's soon going to realize that the Lord is going to deal with his heart and he's going to come back to this place of remembering. These sailors were afraid. There was a great storm. The ship was breaking up. And again, this was the storm was so bad, they were fearing for their lives they were afraid, and, and we, we mustn't forget that these are experienced sailors. Their desire was to lighten the load. They're trying to increase their chances of survivability. Paul himself experienced this in, in the book of Acts. We won't turn there, but you'll remember that he was in a ship headed for Rome that, that was exceedingly tempest-tossed, and they, too, lightened the ship. They threw the tackle. They threw their supplies overboard. And again, in my mind, if I'm out on a ship with finite resources and there is no place to stop in the middle of the ocean to, to resupply, I think you have to be in a pretty desperate spot to just start chucking your food overboard, right? You know, food is important. The, the equipment that you need to sail is important, but they're at, a, they're at a point in their lives where this is life or death. We're going to do everything we can to keep this ship floating. That is... Again, the scenario that they face, and sometimes we read scripture, we read stories, we read accounts, and we don't fully appreciate what they were going through in that moment. And I'm sure we've all been in situations where we might have been scared, we might have had 
some nerves. Um, there may be something going on around us that, that causes us to be more concerned. I can remember some situations of, of calls that I was on uh, and law enforcement partners were with us. And when I saw them become nervous or become on edge or, or more aware that really made me pay more attention to what was going on in that scenario because if the people that were supposed to be protecting me were starting to get a little uneasy with what's going on or starting to pay more attention or, or take notice of something, there was something that caught my attention. Yet where do we find Jonah in all of this? The ship is literally breaking up. You can imagine that this scene was probably noisy, uh, people crying out to their God, probably the captain calling out instructions of whatever it may be, yet Jonah was asleep. Jonah was checked out. We understand that he was going the complete opposite direction of God, and he was checked out to the point that he could fall asleep in the midst of this terrible storm, the storm that was going to bring harm. It was going to bring loss, yet he felt himself able to sleep. And again, I me, myself, I, I don't sleep that well, typically. I'm not a great sleeper, if you will. There's, you know, the slightest noise typically wakes me up. Others in my house, however, could sleep through a tornado. Me, not so much. So maybe Jonah's just a heavy sleeper. But he was checked out. He was on his, on his way in his own mind, just trying to get as far away from God as possible. And I think, again, that, that shows how strong our flesh can be when we yield to it, when we surrender to it. It can take us to a place so far from God that not even a storm raging around us is going to alert us. Let's go to Romans 13, and we'll read verses 11 through 14 there in Romans 13. And we have here a good reminder for us from the Apostle Paul. Verse 11 verse 11 says, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The night is far spent. The darkness is all around us. A couple weeks ago, Brother Greg spoke of the darkness passing. Again, we see here that the darkness is all around. Jonah was in a a spot in the lowest part of the ship. It certainly was probably dark there, literally. But in this life, spiritually, there is a darkness that people are walking through. It seems that even believers are sleepwalking at times through life. Despite the natural tendency to want to sleep when it's dark out, spiritually speaking, we must be on guard. We must be awake. We must be ready for our enemy to be lurking anywhere and everywhere. In verse 6 of Jonah, we see the captain, this non-believing captain, come down and rebuke Jonah. The man called Jonah out for sleeping while others were working, for not calling on God, for not, for not trying to do something to save the ship. And I thought about this for a moment, and, and I've been thinking about my dad a lot uh, for a variety of reasons, and, and he keeps coming up as I, as I go through the study of Jonah, the study of Nineveh. And we see here this unbelieving captain come down and rebuke the prophet of the Lord, Jonah. 
And as I was thinking of this in my own life, I thought, you know, have I ever been in a situation where I've been convicted by an unbeliever? And the answer was yes. I thought of my dad. There are times that my dad, again, I don't want to get into too much, but his life was an absolute train wreck for a lot of reasons. But one thing that he always had was a really big heart. And it didn't matter if it was Thanksgiving or whatever, there would be people showing up for Thanksgiving dinner that I had never really seen, whether he had just hired a new employee or he came across somebody who didn't have a place to go, he would just invite them over uh, to have dinner. And I found myself, even with when my kids were young, I was like, you know, I just want this to be a family time, a family event at Thanksgiving. And I felt checked by the Lord that here I am, a believer, understanding the need of salvation for this world, the generosity that the Lord calls upon us to share with others. And here my dad, an alcoholic, a train wreck, is opening up his home for people to come have a meal. It was convicting to me. And the Lord checked me on that. I can imagine what Jonah must have felt the moment that captain came down the stairs to wake him up. Here I am, a prophet of the Lord, and this sailor is coming to wake me up, to, to call me out for not being a part of what I need to be a part of. And again, we won't linger on that point. But the fact is, there's times that we just lull ourselves into a sleep, lull ourselves into a comfortability of where we're at. We need to make sure that we are open to the Lord's leading, the open to the Lord's guidance and direction. Paul, exhorting the Ephesians here, he says, but all things are exposed and are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We aren't to sleep through life. We aren't to slumber. We aren't to just drift. We are to be anchored to the Lord, pointed the direction that he would have us to go. The captain was upset. He, what do you mean, sleep rat? I don't think that was like a term of endearment. You know, when I had small children and wake them up and, oh, hi, sleepyhead, it's time to wake up and go somewhere. I, I don't think the captain was particularly happy with Jonah. I think he probably had some choice words for him. And he came and he said, get up. And get to work. Call on your God. We need some kind of help here. We are all about to die. Again, spiritually speaking, we mustn't be idle. We mustn't be asleep in the bowels of the ship. We must be ready and able to be busy about our master's business as he calls upon us to do. We had just last Wednesday willing to tread the grapes, willing to squeeze, willing to be prepared in our walk with those first fruits. The captain says, perhaps your God will deliver. Again, the captain unknowingly kind of told, yeah, your God is going to deliver. But the captain had no inclination of that at this point. But we have the assurance that our Lord will deliver us. Paul speaks to Timothy about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy four seventeen, he says, the Lord is faithful. That's kind of the theme of this section of scripture that, that Paul records for us. In verse 17, it says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And again, a different encounter, a different experience that Paul was having compared to Jonah. I fully understand that. But what a reminder to us, the promise that we have. 
One, we've been promised eternity. The moment that we believe, the moment we are born again, eternity is ours. Our destination is set. It's secure. It's eternal. Paul recognized that, and he pressed on. Despite the struggles that he had, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten, stoned, all these different things. But he said, I know the Lord will deliver me because he's promised me an eternity with him. He'll preserve me. Again, that doesn't keep us from suffering and trials in this life. It doesn't keep us from hardships, heartaches, and things like that. Paul, in sailing to Rome, when, when we talked about that, his ship coming apart and the tempest tossed, he understood the Lord told him he was going to Rome. He had a purpose in going to Rome. So despite that his ship was about to crumble beneath him, Paul had a confidence. And again, in our own lives, we can look at that and think, You know, it feels like the ship is breaking up. It feels like something just isn't going right in our lives. There's trials, there's needs, there's issues that just don't make any sense that I'd rather just not be dealing with. Maybe that's just me, but that, that happens to all of us, I presume. They're just unpleasantries in life. But as Paul remembered, he had a destination, he had a promise from the Lord, he had a purpose to accomplish. So too do we. Our destination is sure. We have a purpose to accomplish. We have a light to shine in this world while the Lord gives us breath. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, who's with us? The Lord. The Lord is with us and he will deliver us into his eternal presence. God's answer here was not going to be, oh, I'm just going to stop the storm and Jonah's going to sail to Tarshish and continue on his way. The Lord needed to do a work in Jonah As we will see, he needed to do a work in these sailors' lives. And sometimes that work is to go further into the trial. We see the three Hebrew boys again in the furnace. Their deliverance came once they were in the furnace. And who was in the furnace? There was a fourth like the Son of Man. Again, that story touches my heart. Because sometimes we find ourselves in the furnace. Sometimes we find ourselves in the heat of the trial but we must remember there's another in the fire. There's another standing beside us. There's another holding us up. And that's what Jonah was about to learn. Let's go back to Jonah chapter 1 and go to the next section here. Back to Jonah, we'll read verses 7 through 9 as we continue on in this storm as it rages. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So these sailors were crying out to their gods, their false gods, and it wasn't working. So they turned to plan B. They said, okay, we're going to cast lots and see whose fault this is. And as I was reading this, I kind of chuckled a little bit because they were all about to die in the sea. Did it really matter whose fault it was? Maybe as your last thought, perishing, drowning in the ocean, it's like, oh, this was Timmy's fault. And then lights out. I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe my mind wanders to places it shouldn't sometimes, but like oh did it really matter you're all about to die who doesn't matter whose fault it is well actually it did in this case because the lot fell to Jonah again casting lots was something that was widely practiced in this time and region and here 
It seems that the purpose was to determine which one of these seamates needed to confess their sin to the crew. Some suggest this practice of, of casting lots, it had a variety of different ways that it was carried out, whether it was using stones, pebbles, dice, whatever it might be, drawing straws out of a container, those things like that. You know, And, and I think there's some practicality to that. Just I remember back to grade school, we had to draw straws to see who presented their project first. And you can rest assured, I always drew the short straw. Um, and that's just a matter of practicality. Again, I don't think that's what they were doing was just to, to be simply practical. And this casting of lots wasn't isolated to just non-believers. The children of Israel also cast lots, and, and we see that several times throughout the Old Testament. Even on the garment of the priest, the, of the breastplate, we see the Urim and Thummim, that respectively means lights and perfection. And, and this apparently helped the priest to determine the will of God. Again, and something that's not clearly understood by me, but the Lord used it. The Lord used it to reveal his will. Again, it was, we see it several times in the Old Testament. We see it carried over to the New Testament. We can turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 23 down through 26. And as they're getting ready to select a replacement for Judas, we see this in Acts 1.23. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that, we, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Again, the choice of the apostle, of a new apostle, to fill this seat was an event of great magnitude. It was, a, it was something that they earnestly were seeking the Lord on. We see here a transition time for the apostles, coming from the Old Testament, their old ways, to the New Testament ways. In Proverbs 16.33, rather, we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And again, we're not going to spend any more time than this on this casting of lots. Just to suffice to say, regardless of the scenario or the circumstance, we see lots being cast. This passage in Proverbs remind us who's in control. The Lord is in control of every decision. All was under the Lord's control, and if he used these manners to reveal direction to those in the Old Testament, and even these apostles in the New Testament, that's okay. It was his prerogative. But we see a couple of important things here in Acts. This, this happened before the Holy Spirit had come. It's not recorded, the casting of lots, after the day of Pentecost. And even in that verse in Acts, in verse 24, what was the first thing they did? They prayed. They prayed for direction. The main piece of their appeal was prayer, and then they cast their lots. For us today, we have the completed word of God. We have the Holy Spirit to reveal God's will and direction to us. We have no need of assistance from some outside object, some outside person, some outside place, or some outside thing. We have the Holy Spirit who takes of what is his and makes it known to us. How blessed we are, this privileged position. How blessed we are to have access to the throne of grace, to the throne of mercy, to find help in our time of need, to find direction when we need it, to get wisdom when we desire it. In verse 8, we saw the sailors there asking Jonah a list of questions. What, what, why is this going on? Where are you from? What, what do you do for a living? Who's, 
country are you from? What people are you? As Jonah understood, this, this was the questions coming to him. He was called upon to give an account. And we'll come back to what he answered here in just a moment. But the reminder there is that we have to be ready in our own lives to give an answer, to be ready in season and out of season, to make a stand, to proclaim that we are children of God. When called upon, hopefully it's, it's living it out and people are seeing that in our lives. But when someone asks you, why do you have this hope? Why do you have this peace? Why do you have this joy? I hope we find it a blessing to give an answer. In Acts 26, verses 1 and 2, Paul, again, as he was sailing to Rome, he was going to speak before the kings, those in authority. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself and said, I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. This word happy here has the thought of blessed. It's the same word Peter uses when he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Now, when somebody questions me or is kind of interrogating me, whether it's on things of my faith or whatever it is, Questions just tend to make us defensive, or maybe that's just me. If like, you know, somebody questions your work, or what are you doing? There's times I just feel like, oh man, I, I better, I better have a good answer and defend why I did X, Y, and Z. Paul's answer here is stark to me. That he says, "King, I am blessed to be able to give you an answer." Now, if somebody asks you, "Why do you believe what you believe?" What, what do you mean? I need to be saved? Is our reaction? that of being blessed, of being happy to give that answer? I hope it is. And at times I know, for me, it's uncomfortable. At times it's my heart's racing 100 beats a minute. Of Oh, I don't, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't, I don't want these people to, to think I'm some kind of weirdo. We have great hope and great joy in our heart. I hope that we feel blessed when we get the opportunity to share that hope. When we get the opportunity to share for the reason that we believe the light, the reason that we want others to believe. I pray that our desire is for our speech to always be seasoned with salt. And to Jonah's credit, he gives a good answer. He says, I'm a, a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Again, he made his confession of faith. And I have to in my own mind, try to, to put myself in the sailor's shoes, the captain's shoes who's asking all these questions of, well, if all that's true, then why are you here? Why are you running away from the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who, who did all this? And again, that, that thought of fearing is that reverential trust. And again, I think we would ask, well, if, if all that was true, then why are you here? But again, we're not there yet in our account. Jonah answered, and he said, this is, I fear the one true God. And Nehemiah says, you, are, you alone are the Lord. You made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all, the hosts of heaven worship you. This is who Jonah was proclaiming. This was who the sailors were about to encounter. Jonah proclaimed the one true God, the almighty, the God of all creation, who was, who is, and who is to come. There are no other gods. 
The sailors had just learned that. They called out to their so-called gods and heard nothing. So many today still cry out to the unknown gods, the unreal gods. We are blessed to know the Almighty. We are blessed to know that when we call upon him, he hears us. We are blessed to know that when we can praise him, that we can come into his presence and he welcomes us and listens and hears and answers. Jonah's testimony here was in rough shape. He was sleeping in the belly of the ship, soon to sleep in the belly of a fish. He wasn't walking the walk. As our brother James in the New Testament tells us, faith without works is dead. His faith before these men was not on display. Jonah was struggling with the flesh, and we see that throughout the book, albeit a different form from the New Testament perspective as we know it in this old creation and new creation. But Jonah's flesh was as real as ever to him. We see him struggling. We see him going through what Paul explains to us in Romans 7. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Jonah knew who the Lord was. He just proclaimed him to these sailors. Yet he was failing miserably. He was not yielding. He was not surrendering to the Lord. But he will find out that God hears him that God delivers him. And as we struggle in our own lives, as we go through our own Romans 7 experience, we can come to that same conclusion that Paul did. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer to a brother, that holds us, that comforts us through our ups and downs, through our failures and through our successes. Jonah's learning, but he's still got a long way to go, and we'll pick it back up there next week. Lord bless you.